good. You can start it right off. Not a problem at all. Okay, and uh, this should be the wrap-up article. It goes a little longer than some of the others. Just gives you a little warning, and it's not from the 40s and 50s. It's uh, from the... Uh, uh, 1960 uh, era of time, uh, late 50s and so forth. But it's uh, entitled A Wild and Woolly 60 Years on Wall Street. I've seen it all in my 60 years as a stockbroker and financial planner. From my start as a furnace village rat through Olive Rames High School, class of 53, and then the Bridgewater State Teachers College, now Bridgewater State University of all things, I've been a lifelong resident of my beloved hometown. I consider Easton to be Massachusetts' best-kept secret. Two of my great-granddads came to Easton in the late 1880s, so I'm pretty much a townie. <laughs> my career started on Wall Street as a specialist clerk on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, believe it or not. Specialists in those days kept the book on various assigned issues, each issue traded at a particular place on the floor of the exchange, and traders came to that post to make their transactions. My job was to log in the bids, offers, and trades in a master book that totaled the day's transactions in that issue. I worked for specialist broker Cyril de Cordover and Sons. You've heard that de Cordover name before with the museum in Boston. They were cousins. They dealt uh, in the uh, stocks of IBM, Polaroid, Associated, Associated Dry Goods, they've been since bought out, of course, by part of tar Target, Checker Motors, they were manufacturers of uh, city cabs, but in 1959 were about to launch a domestic auto production and managed to, be, to fail. F.W. Woolworth, eh, they're still going in Great Britain, and then the P. Laurelard and Company, at that time, big for their makers of Kent cigarettes with the Micronite filter among a couple other stocks. There was plenty of action in this job, and Williams was there on the day the U.S. Steel hit $100 per share. It was a raucous occasion with bits of folded pieces of paper catapulted into the air by means of elastic bands strung between hat hooks. U.S. Steel has never seen that lofty price height to this very day. That job lasted a year when I became homesick and asked to be assigned to an eastern area brokerage firm to become a stockbroker. Stockbrokers were known in that day as customers' men. Hemphill Noise and Company had an office in Brockton, and I stayed with that firm and its successors for 39 years when it had by that time been acquired by Smith Barney. Other names in the interim were Honbora Weeks, Loeb Roads, Shearson Lehman Brothers, E.F. Hutton, and American Express. <laughs> Looking to work for a smaller, more personal brokerage, uh, I and uh, my partner, son, Kevin, moved to Advest, a Connecticut-based regional firm. A few years later, Advest was, bought, Advest was bought out by another giant brokerage, Merrill Lynch, which prompted us to move to our current company, RBC Wealth Management, which is a division of the Royal Bank of Canada. Kevin and I and our granddaughter and my granddaughter, Nora Youssef, now oversee some $400 million of investment for high net worth clients. The Hempel Noise experience started in September of 1959 when I was to enter into a broker's training program. Since I had attended the New York Stock Exchange's night school program and had worked on the floor of the exchange already, I pretty much knew the basics. So I was assigned as a teacher of the other broker recruits instead of being a member of the class. 
I was given the task of providing guided tours of the New York Stock Exchange for broker trainees and other visiting dignitaries. In November of 1959, a flu epidemic hit lower Manhattan, and I was sent to the floor of the exchange to work the periphery of that operation as a floor clerk. Orders would come in to me from around the country, and I would signal my firm's floor broker to come pick up the orders and bring them to the specialist posts. This went on until I started in Brockton on the second day of January, 1960. All in all, it's been a wild and woolly ride for 60 years, but I wouldn't change a thing to have, a, to, uh, have saved just a bit of my nervous system. <laughs> a big day's trading on the New York Stock Exchange in 1959 was 4 million shares. This amount of share turnover can happen in a matter of seconds in today's market. All work was done manually, and the workforce worked into the night hours after a busy day. I received a bonus of $7,000 for my first year's work for the specialist firm. This sum equaled my full pay for that year. $14,000 in 1960 is, amounts to over $100,000 in today's dollars, and I was only 25 years old. <laughs> I had turned out an offer to start a teaching position at $3,500 a year after having received my bachelor's degree from the then Bridgewater State Teachers College in 1957. I did a brief stint in the Army National Guard right after college and was company cook on a field artillery unit. This after having been turned down by the Air Force to go into pilot training. My eyesight failed the exams for that duty. My experience as a cook at the Merrimax restaurant in Easton, Sylvia Sweets restaurant in Brockton, and as a second cook for three years at the casino at Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, prepared me for my army cooking duties. At Hempel Noise and Company, I was on the road, knocking on doors and trying to open accounts with people twice and three times my 25 years of age. I quickly learned how to accept rejection and not take it personally. Little by little, the practice grew, and later in my best year, I brought in nearly a million dollars in commissions. But first, I had to deal with the technology of the day. In 1960, the ticker tape was still the method of bringing stock prices to the masses. The most important client got to sit nearest to the ticker to see the prices before the rest of the hoi polloi. In my office, it was the uh, well-known at that time, Wallace Gilmore. <laughs> this always made for some hurt feelings. I wish now that I had saved some of that tape as a memento of the bygone day. Next came a beast called the Translux moving screen with its deep purple ink that stuck to everything, including my white shirt. While not particularly adept in mechanical skills, I was chosen as low man on the totem pole to keep the Translux in repair. What a mess it was. Purple fingers every day and trying to look nice on that evening's date. One wonders at, at times what some of those young lasses thought of the guy with the purple hands. I say it's hours of boredom interspersed with moments of terror. That's how I would describe my 60 years as a broker. The stock market marches to its own drummer. While the turmoil has doubtlessly taken its toll on my nervous system, I would not have traded this exciting career with any other. I admit I have done well financially, although I have never had... The making of money is my first priority. After a stint as the state president of the then 4,000-plus member Massachusetts JCs, I took a course with Success Motivation Institute of Waco, Texas. This training set me up to prioritize my goals in this order. 
spiritual, physical, mental, family, social, and financial. My prime pursuit today is civic endeavors, for which I was recently named the outstanding leader at the Lions Club Recognition Night. I'm also past president of the Zero Population Growth of Massachusetts, past commander of Post 7 American Legion in Easton, past president of the Easton JCs, past president for 14 years of the Sunhouse Trust, a halfway home in Brockton, chair of many political campaigns, um, a Melvin Jones fellow in the Lions Movement and a JCI senator, the last two being the highest honors bestowed by those organizations. I was chair for 24 years of the Massachusetts JC Headquarters Trust that eventually gave me the privilege of giving $75,000 to three of Easton's good causes. I had served as general chair of the committee that raised the funds to establish the JC headquarters in Marlboro, Massachusetts. I was a charter member and the only male member of Easton's League of Women Voters. <laughs> my back-to-the-earth five-acre farm on Beatty Lane allowed me to raise all my own beef, pork, poultry, legs, lamb, rabbits for meat, along with eggs and honey for, with the, from the bees. We smoked our own bacon and hams. My quarter horse king won many awards in Western competitions. I garden organically to this day and speak on the subject at the slightest request. I was a 4-H organic garden club leader for six years, in 1972 to 78. In Massachusetts, uh, the Massachusetts Horticultural Society, school classes and many civic groups paid a visit to my farm, which was written up several times by local publications. Currently, I stay active in the Eastern Lions Club and am the top recruiter of new members in the United States of America with over 250 members to my credit. You might uh, see me some days uh, clerking at the Lions Club thrift store at the Grange Hall on Route 138. I'm a member of Eastern CPA Committee for 18 years now and served as the treasurer of the Friends of the Historical Ames Shovel Works in Northeastern. That group recently led the drive to save the Shovel Works complex from a ruinous 40B plan. I do occasional gigs for the East and Historical Society and am an active member of the Friends of the Ames Free Library, active in the NRT of Easton, chief of my fire station at Saquish Head, and have been chair of reunions of the Oliver Ames Class of 53 for 15 years, and am on the Bridgewater State College Class of 57 reunion committee, where I set up a scholarship for international travel for students there. My hobbies, including included skiing, which I gave up as a hazardous sport at age 79, at which I was not particularly good anyway. I have, however, skied all over the western part of the USA and have done three ski trips to Europe. Betty and I are world travelers and had a tour t a TV show on local access called Travels with Lee and Betty. That went on for 15 years. I enjoy auctioneering and do so on a gratis basis for nonprofit organizations. I even auctioned off an estate for the Massachusetts Society of Mayflower Descendants, of which I am a member, and a descendant of Francis Cook and Edward Fuller. I recite poetry and toasts at the drop of a hat and can go one hour without stopping with no trouble at all. I'm usually boo booed to be quiet or left standing alone before that happens, however. <laughs> the scariest time in the market was probably the crash of 1987. I was in Arizona on vacation and looking at some land I had bought in Lake Havasu City. I and Betty, my beautiful wife of 55 years, along with Mr. and Mrs. Ralph Armstead, received a call from son Kevin, who was at home minding the fort. Kevin, then age 23, and just a year or so out of Quinnipiac College, gave me the bad news. The market was crashing badly. I, as always the contrarian, told Kevin to stay cool and buy the blue chips. 
Kevin did so for the family account and that of our clients. After several unnerving days of terror, the market stabilized and those buys turned out to be some of the best of our careers. It's been a wild and woolly ride for Avery Lee Williams over the past 84 years, but I wouldn't change a bit of it for a more subdued life. Thanks for listening.